Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today we have a fun podcast ahead of you, breaking down some of the transfers coming into Auburn's football program, filling a lot of positions of need, as well as some new additions to the basketball pro- program and Baseball is in the SEC tournament, getting ready for NCAA play, still trying to fight their way into hosting a regional. So we're going to talk about all of that. But first of all, Wheeler, let's just give us your your raw thoughts. We'll start with football and then move down the line. Just kind of give us your thoughts about the, the guys that are coming in, the positions that are being filled, uh, and guys that you're just the most excited about. And how would you grade Hugh Freeze's transfer ranking, kind of his portal activity as the final roster is becoming a little bit more finalized, getting closer to that 85-man scholarship spot? I don't think you can rate Hugh's transfer portal class as anything but an A+. Um, the reason I say that is your second in portal rankings according to 24-7, and the only team that's in front of you is Colorado, and the reason that they're in front of you is because they've I mean, I don't know how many they've actually taken, but it seems like they've taken like 50. And so their ranking is just going to be higher just off of sheer numbers. Um, So, no, I mean, he, in my opinion, has the best portal class. Um, His average is super high, too. Um, He's brought in people at positions of need. Um, I don't think that every single person that was brought in via the transfer portal is expected to be a starter or a major contributor. Um, but you saw a lot of guys leaving who were not going to be starters or major contributors, and you have to replace those roles. Like, there has to be somebody on the roster who's the third string of something. You know, I mean, there has to be a person that plays that role for your team. And so, you know, you see – uh, a defensive tack or a defensive end from Liberty coming in, and everybody's like, "Oh, why did we take him?" It's like, well, I mean, you lost some defensive linemen to the portal, and you got to have some, you got to have warm bodies out there. Um, and he showed flashes at Liberty. I'm, I'm just, I think that this has been a great class. Um, just going down by position, obviously the position that's going to get the most attention um, is quarterback, bringing in Peyton Thorne. Um, and me and you have talked about this before. I don't, I don't think we've had a podcast since he was brought in, but basically with bringing in Peyton Thorne, in my opinion, all you've done is use, you've raised the floor of the quarterback room. So if you get something out of Holden, if you get something out of Robbie where they are lightning in a bottle, that is so great. Like if you, if they're lightning in a bottle, then it's off to the races. Auburn's going to be great. If they're not lightning in a bottle and Robbie's still completing 30% of his passes and all of his throws are a dying duck, then you have somebody that can go out there and can run the offense in a competent way 
and get you to eight or nine wins. I mean, the guy got to a New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, he wasn't the one that carried them there, but he is a good enough quarterback that if the team around him is a New Year's Six quality, he isn't going to keep you from getting there. And that's what you need. Um, everybody always hates on the game manager. It's not easy to be a game manager. I think we've seen that in the past couple of years. With, I mean, Auburn quarterbacks, we would have killed to have a game manager. I mean, think about last year, how much different having a game manager would have been. So Peyton Thorne coming in, that's a huge addition. Really excited about him solely because you've solidified a position that's not going to be the limiting factor for you. Um, same thing with receiver. Um, I think, you know, last year the receiving core kind of got covered up how bad they were by the fact that the quarterback was so bad that they almost never had the ball in their hands to drop it. Um, but in the games that Robbie was hitting them in the hands, I just think back to that Mississippi State game. It was awful, man. I mean, Robbie was hitting the receivers. They just couldn't catch anything. And that was a rainy day. I'll give them that. A day was a rainy day. We talked about that on the last podcast. But it's been a couple of years since Auburn's had a receiving core that the guys could catch the football. Um, and you bring in enough talent now that that's not going to be acceptable. Um, you bring in a deep play threat in uh, – is it – what's his name? Sharp? Guy Shorter. Yeah. Um, bring in a guy from Ohio State who's had some injury problems but really tore it up in high school out in Texas. You bring speed. You bring uh, 6'4". You bring catching radius, You catching ability. I mean – really filled a position of need at receiver. And again, I'm not saying that any of these guys are going to come in and they're going to be the best receivers in Auburn in Auburn's history, but they're going to be guys that are good enough that if you put the other talent around them, you're not going to – the game's not going to be lost because of those guys. You may not out-talent somebody by them, but you're not going to lose the game because they're so inferior to the other team's receivers. Um and then defensively, I think, you know, you filled where you can the holes. We obviously need a pass rusher. I think they think they found their pass rusher. Um, but you're not going to probably get a flashy pass rusher. I mean, you're not going to get Will Anderson out of the portal because everybody needs a pass rusher. And so if you got a guy that's getting a bunch of sacks in production, that's going to be every school's number one NIL priority. So that guy, those guys are not going to end up in the portal. You're going to have to get somebody from a lower classification and have them come up and see what they can do. I think you see that with the Appalachian State guy coming up. Um, and he was a huge contributor for them. Think about the Texas A&M game. He had a huge game in that game. So, no, I'm, I'm gung-ho about this class. I think that this is a great portal class. I really can't think – and you've filled in more gaps on the offensive line. So, I mean – when you look back and you th think about the Brian Harson era, there were gaps that you saw coming from a mile away and they just never got addressed. And you did the opposite. I, I feel like we've taken almost every offense. We've gotten so many offensive linemen that there are guys who, when they committed to Auburn, it was a guarantee, oh, this guy's coming in to start. Well, you start bringing in all these portal guys and all of a sudden these true freshmen who you signed and you're like, oh, he's going to start as a freshman, even who were starting as, you know, in the spring. It's not looking like they may they may or may not start. So I'm excited for fall camp to start. I think the portal class is great. Um, 
And I do feel bad for our one guy who went ahead and committed um, without having an offer. I guess his ankles were too big. Um, For those of you that haven't heard the story, Hugh sometimes likes to look at guys' ankles to tell how athletic they are. And I guess he came on campus and had some cankles. So wear your compression stockings the night before your official visit to Auburn, I guess is the lesson you learn. Yeah, and I think that, you know, just to emphasize a little bit of what you said, I, I really like, you know, and we mentioned it. I think this was one of the things we mentioned when we kind of had a bunch of those offensive linemen coming in is Hugh looks at the team need and he addresses it instantly. And, you know, that was something that you saw, especially uh, in the, you know, in the winter, picking up all these offensive linemen and you're seeing it now picking up all these receivers and you're going to look at these guys. These guys probably will not like, not all of them are going to play. A lot of them are going to be backups. You still have guys like Camden Brown, still have guys like Javaris Johnson that are expected to start in all likelihood, you know, Uh, but you got a guy like Shane Hooks coming in from Jackson state, 6'4", 205 pounds, put up 750 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns. You know, a lot of people are going to talk about the level of competition. Two things with that. One thing, Jackson State was playing better than anyone else in their competition. They had a really good year last year with Deion Sanders. They were highly publicized. He did exactly what you would want someone to do. Now, obviously, yes, you should be concerned that he, you know, is from Jackson State. You're not going to expect him to come in and be Julio Jones year one. But I do think that you can predict him to be a guy that will contribute and a guy that will at the very least be a good red zone threat and be a step up from, at the very least, the role that Xavion Capers has played the past few years, you know, just being that tall guy that you just throw out there. This guy is at least proven that he's not just a tall body that you throw out there so that the safety has to look his way. He's a guy that has actually led a team in receiving and can actually play football, you know, at the college level. Um, with more guys, you know, Caleb Burton is probably my one of my favorite additions for the transfer class. And I don't even know if he'll play this season. He's had a lot of injury problems, but he was a really highly rated recruit in the class of 2022, went to Ohio State and, you know, got hurt a lot and wasn't able to find the field. But that was a stacked wide receiver room. Everyone raised about his hands. This is a guy that really excites me as a player that could be an Auburn staple, you know, an an Auburn wide receiver. Because, I mean, Auburn hasn't had a wide receiver be one of the best players on the team in years. And so I'm, I'm really excited about Burton. Um, I think that he could be a big, a big time player. And I hope he'll, he'll be coming in the fall. He's a little young. He still has to learn the offense. I don't know if he'll necessarily be a massive contributor this season, but I think that the following season, the 2024 campaign, he will be a big time contributor in that wide receiver room. Um, and then as for Peyton Thorne, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. He raises the floor. At the very least, you know that you will have average quarterback play. And this past season, you know, he has quite the stat disparity from 2021 to 2022. The difference is 2021, he had a great offensive line, he had a good defense, and he had a really good running back. This past season, he had an okay running back, he had a bad offensive line, and an average defense. So I think that if Peyton Thorne was the guy last season – yeah, he doesn't really do that much. You know, it would have been kind of the same stats that he put up at Michigan State compared to what he would have done at Auburn. But this guy, if you watch his tape, he's not – I mean, he's not just going to razzle-dazzle. He's not going to win a Heisman, you don't think. But if you watched him in 2021, he did fine, and he didn't mess anything up. He was good enough that a team couldn't stack the box to stop Kenneth Walker for the most part. Obviously, that Ohio State game was a little rough. But regardless, that team went on and won a New Year's Six Bowl. And if you offered any Auburn fan a New Year's Six Bowl win, but you're going to get blown out one game, you'll take it. It's not ideal, but you'll definitely take it. 
So I definitely think that Peyton Thorne was a pickup that was needed. Uh, I definitely think that Robbie Ashford could still start. Maybe, who knows, even Holden Gariner might start. I think that that's, you know, that'll be decided in fall camp. But at the very least, if Peyton Thorne starts, you know the floor. You don't know Robbie's floor, you know. Robbie can be bad. Robbie can be really bad. He can be really good as well, but he can also be really bad. Holden, you don't know what his good, you don't know what his bad is. Peyton Thorne, you know what his good is, you know what his bad is. You know that the quarterback will not be the reason that we are bad this season. If this is a bad season, it's not going to be, well, if we just had a good quarterback, we, you know, who knows what could have happened. So I really like that pickup. I think a lot of the offensive pickups, uh, Muskrat on the offensive line from Tulsa, that's another good pickup. I think that those are going to really help the offense. And on the defensive end, Larry Nixon, I love the pickup. Had over 100 tackles at North, on, over 100 total tackles at North Texas last season. And that was a guy on the last podcast I mentioned, our linebackers kind of worried me a little bit. And I feel like we needed another one. We addressed that. I feel really good about that linebacker room with a little bit more depth. And even, you know, linebackers, you can never have too many linebackers. You know, people are going to get hurt. They're going to get hurt all the time. You need a lot of them. You play at least four, probably five or six on a regular basis. I really feel good about the transfer guys filling in the depth. And like you mentioned, you know, a lot of these guys, yeah, a lot of these guys won't start. But the thing is, you know, no one talks about the third string center in preseason. But guess what? The last four games of the season, we had Jaleel Irvin play in center for us because, you know, Tate Johnson goes down, Nick Brahms goes down. All of a sudden, a guy's number gets called and he has to play. And at those times, you know, a lot of the time when you have those kind of weird guys coming in in the lineup, it's at the end of the season. It's against Alabama. You know, it's it's in those big games. It's in the bowl games. So, yeah, like bringing in guys, even if they don't start, if they're better than the guys you have now, it's the right move to bring them in. So I definitely think that a lot of the transfer additions have been good depth, and I think a lot of them will start, and I think that it'll definitely make a difference on this team. I think that this team now has depth. And it's not going to be if a starter goes down, you're done. You know, most position groups can take one or two injuries. And obviously you don't wish injuries on anyone, but they're going to happen. They're part of the game. So I definitely think that this this transfer lineup definitely helps Auburn. And Auburn is a better team now than they were in the spring. And a lot of us were getting excited about the team in the spring. And the team's better now. So I think that there is reason to be encouraged. And everyone's just counting down the days. I think it's – I checked the other day. I want to say it's like 101 days, 102 days until uh, till September 2nd when that first game happens. So we're really excited about that. But to kind of shift the focus a little bit to, you know, the round ball with uh, Auburn basketball, the most recent pickup is from Juco, Chad Baker, Mazzara. Weather, why don't you just kind of give us your your thoughts about him. He's a six seven guard. Guard slash forward averaged 15 points and shot 47% from three. He's bounced around a little bit, but every at every stop he's been, he shot the three really well. So we either just kind of give us your your thoughts about him and how he fits in to the roster with the departure of Alan Flanagan to the transfer portal. First of all, in that long monologue, did anybody else catch Noble just smoking the crack a little bit? He's talking about Peyton Thorne, and he goes... He's not going to win the Heisman, we don't think. <laughs> oh, so you're suggesting that there's a chance that Peyton Thorne wins the Heisman Trophy. Now, Noble, where are you getting your crack? Hey, man, I'm, I'm just going to say, you can never say that a player is not going to win a trophy. That's all I'm saying. Who knows? He could come in. He could be Joe Burrow. He could be Baker Mayfield. 
Do I think that'll happen? Probably not, but it could. And you always have to cover the bases. Wow. Wow. It's happening. Folks, we're 101 days away, and that means you can hope on anything. You can convince yourself that the mediocre quarterback from Michigan State that's – listen, listen. If you had told Noble, we'll say three months ago, hey, there's this guy from Michigan State. He is the epitome of average, okay? Should you should we put him on the Heisman watch? He's like, no, what's wrong with you? You're an idiot. Okay, man, let's not mistake man, what I'm saying right now that he should be on the Heisman watch. Man, I, man, I said man he was not going to with his new truck outside of Jordan Hare Stadium. Uh, Noble's Noble's booking a flight out to Vegas so he can lay money down on the Vegas odds of Peyton Thorne hoisting the Heisman Trophy. Mm. Hey, to quote Kevin Malone, if anyone ever gives you ten thousand to one odds, you take it. That's all I'll say. But Wheeler. Shift the discussion to basketball. No, what are, what no are don't, don't, don't call it basketball now. You're hip and cool. Call it the round ball. Wow. Man, that crack dealer really messed you up. No, round ball is looking really good, Noble. Um, No, but for real, 47% shooting three. The good thing about basketball is especially shooting three. It's not that different shooting a three-pointer in junior college than it is at any college. I mean, the lines are the same on the court. I mean, obviously, the defenders you're going to have are different. But look, Auburn's brought in, I think it's like three of the transfers combined for like 45% from three. I mean, it is some just ridiculous number. All it says to me is Bruce Pearl loves to have teams that run around play fluid offense, and score a lot of points. And the past few years, he has had teams that run around, have very little organization on offense, and do not score a lot of points because none of the guys were shooters. And that's mostly been because of the G League just really being tough on Auburn, and every time we're in on a really good shooter and we think we're going to get them, it kind of falls through. Now, I will say this. Our season hinges on the decision of Janai Broom. It just does, in my opinion. It's great that you brought in all these shooters. It's great that you brought in Aiden Holloway. He's going to be a game changer. He's grown two inches since he was a five-star. Okay, he, he's going to be elite. You're going to have great shooters all across the floor. If, and Bruce is really good at managing when there are a lot of good shooters, managing so that everybody gets their touches. If you do not get Janai Broom to come back. And I I think, you know, we said on the last podcast, of course he's going to go do the NBA draft. I think Bruce thought the same thing. I don't think that Bruce thought in any world that Janai was going to go drop 30 in back-to-back G League All-Star games and actually consider not coming back. And that's a contingency that I just don't think he saw because who watched Janai Broom last year and said, this guy is going to go drop off the entire G League All-Star game. Nobody. Okay, so not only that, so you he, you may lose him for the production he had last year, but now you're looking at what he's doing in these G League All-Star games, and you're like, dang, I want that guy on my team because he's a baller. So I, I think the whole season, it doesn't matter what your transfers are right now. If you don't get Jani Broom back, you are in deep trouble. 
I I mean, I'm thinking the only thing you'd have is you'd have Dylan playing the five as the starter and Jay Will coming in if he decides to stay and have him come in and play the five as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you look at the I was reading um I was reading somewhere and it was saying that the reason Janai is playing so well, and it was a, one of the NBA uh uh, one of the NBA writers who was covering the G League games was saying that with the NBA level spacing and, you know, you have guys around them that can shoot the three is that no one can really converge on Janai. So there was just more room to work. It was really helping him out. And I think that really makes you even more hopeful that he will come back because of the guys that we have on the team now and the impact that he could have. Because I think if you look at it now, you've got Jalen Williams potentially coming back, starting at the four. He shoot. I, I want to say he shot 33, 34% from three this past season. Um, you've got Baker Mazzara, who shot 47% last year from three. Uh, he'll probably play a small forward position. Chaney Johnson from UAH shot 37% from three on his career. Denver Jones and Aiden Holloway both coming in, shot a really great percentage from three. Like, that could be, you know, for the first time since really – 2019 it feels like where you have guys one through four that are all knockdown shooters that if you leave them open they're going to hit it more often than they're not so if you have a guy like Janai Broom in that you know then all you really have to worry about is his rebounding which really his rebounding has been good you know in the G League camp his rebounding has been a lot better than what we saw at Auburn so I, I really think that with the guys that we have coming in on this roster Janai Broom could even be so much better of a player than we saw last year and even then he was our leading scorer last season and right now we're looking at him like oh the season depends on Janai coming back because we don't have a center if he doesn't but the thing is I feel like we're almost overlooking the fact that we need Janai because he's the only good center that we have but even if he does if he does come back he's not just a good center he could be still the most productive player on the team despite all the transfer additions because of how much his game will be elevated with the other guys coming in so yeah I mean I agree with you I think that the decisions of Janai Broom and Jalen Williams really do impact this, you know, this season. And I think you just kind of have to sit and wait and hope that Janai does come back and that really Jalen Williams as well, because I definitely think that if we have a if we have a season where we don't have either of those guys and it's this late in the portal, you know, it's one thing if you know they're leaving and you can replace them because, you know, you've got guys coming in. But we this is going to kind of come out of left field if they don't come back. So I think that that is – by far the most important news to watch regarding the basketball program. But if they do come back, I mean, I think, you know, everyone's smoking the crack for basketball for being a really good team. I mean, I think if they come back, the expectation is elite eight or better easily. I'm just going to say it. Expectation final four. I think with, if you have all of that talent coming in, that that's going to be the expectation people have fair or not. That's what people are going to expect. And if you get anything less than that, I think people are going to be disappointed. I, th- I think it's I think it's always difficult to say an expectation is a Final Four. But I do think that Auburn Auburn's fan base is starting to get to the point of, you know, it, it seems like the, the typical Blue Bloods like Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, they get on those little, little droughts if they don't make the Final Four in a couple years. And they're like, okay – we we need to make a Final Four, you know? And that's a, a thing that they have. It almost feels like Auburn got that taste in 2019, and now you've had some good seasons. You've won some championships. You've had some banners go up, some SEC championships go up into the rafters. 
but it seems like the fan base is starting to kind of get that like, okay, this is cool, this is great, but we need to start having tournament success again. You know, we, we need to we need to feel we need to know what that's like to make a run of March again and not losing to these teams that, you know, some years are better than us, some years aren't. So I do I, I agree with you that the expectation will be unfairly high. But I do think that the roster expectation with who you have, if those guys do come back, the roster is good enough to be a top 16, top eight team in the country. And so I think this roster is finally a team that you could see going on a run in the tournament. Like this year's team, you just didn't see them going on a run in the tournament. They didn't score enough. So you knew that if they ran into a team like Houston, it was over. Like as soon as you saw the draw, you were like, we're going to lose in the round of 32 because we're playing a team that can score a lot and our defense isn't quite that good. And I feel like even the year before, it was one of those things of like, we've got this pick and roll play with, you know, the shortest guy on the court and the tallest guy on the court. And other than that, we have no consistent offense. And so when that play didn't work against Miami, it was like, yep, we're going to lose because nobody else can score except for this one play. And so I think this is going to be the first team that going into it, you're like, okay, this team just has to get high. Because I feel like you can live with the fact if your team just goes ice cold shooting, like they had a great year and then all of a sudden, like they're not a very good shooting team, you chalk it up as an L. But it's like, do they have the capability to do it? Because that's been the frustrating part with the two round of 32 exits, in my opinion, is those teams had no capability of winning the NCAA tournament. I mean, yes, I guess every team that's in it technically could win it, but it's like those teams were not good enough. They could not have won the NCAA tournament. And so you're finally looking at a team that is going to be of the caliber and of the quality to win a tournament. Yeah, and I think, you know, it goes back to, you know, the team that we had, the the 2021 team, the most recent team to win uh, the SEC championship with Jabari and Walker and all of them. You had a guy in Walker who – had offense, but he really didn't. You know, a lot of his offense was generated from the rest of the team. You had Jabari, who was incredible. And then you had the guys like Wendell, KD, and all that, who were very – they don't really score. Wendell, we've, we've talked about this before. Wendell didn't really score within the flow of the offense. He got the ball and he scored, but it wasn't necessarily running the offense. Whereas you look at that 2019 team, which I feel like is just the, the baseline, the bar – for Auburn basketball under the Bruce Pearl era is what that team did because of the success that they had. You had guys like you had Jared who ran the offense, you know, you had Bryce who was for the most part, catch and shoot. Eventually you'd give it to him and he would do his little dribble between his legs for five seconds and then just shoot where he didn't move at all. You know, but you know, Bryce led, led that team in scoring and he was the focus, you know, like he was the guy like catch and shoot. A bunch of his points were on catch and shoot. You had Chuma, you could give it to down low. He would do some things. He would make some passes down there. You know, he was, he was a solid player. One of the, probably the most talented player on that team. But then, you know, no one really talks about the small forward position. You know, everyone talks about, you know, Jared and Bryce are legends. You have Chuma, who's the best player on the team. You have Anthony, who was a, an anchor down low. Malik Dunbar and Samir Dowdy combined average 14 points per game. You know, so, like, you don't really think, like, oh, like, yeah, like, maybe, you know, Bryce and Jared were doing that by themselves. But having those consistent guys, you had Samir and Malik who could consistently shoot the three, who were great on defense, like, those guys were the kind of people that really made that team as good as it was. Because you couldn't key on anyone. Because if you left anyone open, they were going to hit their open shot. 
And obviously no one was game planning for Samir or Malik Dunbar to just beat them. But that's the same thing that we could have, you know, with the guys like Baker Mazzara and Chaney Johnson. No one's going to think, oh, this guy's the best player on the team. This guy is the one of the three best players on the team. That might not be the focus. You know, hope, the hope is that Aiden and Denver are going to be, you know, the, the Jared and Bryce, the, the backcourt that everyone focuses on. And then maybe Janai down low is like, oh, we got to stop this guy down low. But the thing is, if you have guys – that can hit a three. If you try and have help defense and try and put a double on Janai and he can kick it out to one of those guys, if they have an open three, if they make it 40% of the time, we're, we're okay, you know? And then, then it really makes that offense really unguardable where you can just see the raining of threes coming down. So I, I really think that these kind of pickups are super important for a championship team where it's not the stars, it's the guys that can consistently – play good basketball and have the physical traits to do it. You know, you're not you're not having to roll out these weird lineups with three guards to really find the offensive mismatches that you like. You know, you're having guys that play the position, they're playing 20 minutes, 25 minutes a game, they're 6-7, they're already matchup nightmares, and they're doing their job. So I, I think that this roster is shaping up really well if we can get everyone to come in, you know, and if we can get the real roster that we envision that Bruce and the staff envision coming into uh, this summer. Well, Noble, let's talk about the round ball and the bat. See, Wheeler's trying to make all these jokes and he's just not being funny, but regardless, Auburn baseball, you know, for those who didn't pick up Wheeler's coy little remark, Auburn baseball is really hot right now, have five straight SEC series victories under their belt, including eight straight conference wins coming into the SEC tournament against um, Missouri tonight. Auburn just is coming off of a sweep of the Missouri Tigers this past weekend. Uh, the first two games were pretty pretty handed victories with 4-0, then 7-2, and then the third game made Auburn sweat a little bit. They were down, had to come back, and ended up winning the game 9-7. So there's obviously a little bit of concern because it's difficult to beat four. It's difficult to beat a team four times in five days. You know, it's difficult to beat an SEC baseball team that much. Um, and Auburn hadn't won an SEC tournament game since 2019. So. There is a little bit of worry going into that. By the time most of y'all listen to this podcast, that game will probably be over. So this discussion is, uh, you know, hopefully we don't have too many freezing cold takes coming out tonight. But with a couple rain delays that always happen uh, during the SEC tournament, the Auburn game has been moved back an hour to the start time. It's The tentative start time right now is 8.55. Uh, which is about 10 minutes from now. When So right about when we finish uh, filming this podcast, we'll be watching that game. But Wheeler, just kind of give us your thoughts about this team in general. They're getting really hot. How you feel about the SEC tournament and, you know, the hope that Auburn could host a regional for the second straight year and how important that would be both for the program and for this season, trying to get it back to Omaha for the second straight season. Well, the freezing cold take belongs to me. So well, I'll just take you all back. Um, five series ago, me and Noble were sitting on the parking deck, um, and there was a nice gentleman there who had partaken in a few too many drinks. Um, and I don't think that this was the first time in his life that he had partaken in a few too many drinks. Um, he goes by the name of Roadkill. And I'm just going to say that Mr. Roadkill and his, uh, well, Mr. Roadkill just, he's a very, 
you should really go to the parking deck one time and meet Mr. Roadkill. But he turned our season around. Ever since me and Noble met Mr. Roadkill, uh, Auburn baseball has turned it around. We were down, I think, by six runs before we met Roadkill. And I told Noble, I said, it's over. We're not going to make the NCAA tournament yet again. And let me tell you, this this man with his ponytail and his feathers in his cap came up with a Bud Light before Bud Light got canceled. And, man, he turned our season around. And we have just been on an undeniable hot streak since we met Roadkill. I will say, you got to beat Missouri solely for the fact of this. I don't know what their manager, coach, whatever you call them in baseball, was thinking. By taking, so Auburn's got a man on first and second, okay? And you intentionally walk someone to bring Auburn's best hitter, Ike Irish, up to the plate. Why would you intentionally walk somebody to bring up the best hitter on the team and give the go-ahead run on base? I mean, it was almost like Brad Bahannon had called down to the Mizzou bullpen and said, I've got Auburn in this one. Come on, guys. Make me proud. And they did. They made him proud. Hey, happy for Ike. He did a great job. He got on base, cleared the bases. Uh, But, yeah, fourth time in five days. I think it can be done. Last time we did a podcast right before a game, it was all freezing cold takes, so I'm not going to give any freezing cold takes other than that made no sense to me. Yeah, and I, I you know, if you look at the if you look at the um the bracket, Auburn will play Missouri tonight. They win that one, they'll play Vanderbilt, which is the fourth seed, and then eventually you have uh Florida, who is the top seeded team on that side of the bracket. Auburn hasn't played Vanderbilt this year, and that Florida series, while they still lost that series, it was a very like Auburn won the first game and was very competitive in those games and had some, you know, had some come aparts before Auburn was getting really hot. But you know, you look at a lot of winnable games in this in this bracket especially on the side that we're in. And I think that really encourages Auburn fans, but you need to win some games. You know, you you, you might host a regional, but ideally you want to win some games. And even then, it, it just doesn't feel good. You know, like it, it doesn't feel good when you just consistently go to Hoover and just lose just consistently. Um, you know, some people are projecting, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the D1 baseball guys were project, uh, predicting that Auburn's okay, that with a sweep of Missouri, they, they actually could host a regional. But some other people are predicting that Auburn needs to win two games in Hoover. Um, and, you know, you, you would obviously prefer to not leave any doubt, you know, and w- win your games, go on a run in Hoover, and make it no doubt that this team deserves to host a regional and have some teams come into Auburn for some baseball. But, yeah, I mean, the guys are just really getting hot. You're starting to get to that point. You know, Nate LaRue especially had a really rough start to the season. He's really picked it up recently. He's playing really well. Then, obviously, guys like Ike Irish and Bryson Ware are really helping us out. The pitching has been a lot more consistent. The team is just looking so much better now compared to what it looked like seven series ago. And, I mean, it's a testament to Butch and all the things that he's done for Auburn and just the incredible turnaround that this program has had. That, you know, if you said, you know, if Auburn makes the College World Series this year, the seniors on the team went three out of four years to Omaha. That's unreal. Like, that's something that that, that didn't happen at Auburn before Butch got here. So I feel like people don't really talk about this, but the stuff that Butch has done – 
for Auburn baseball. It's on the same level as what Bruce did for Auburn basketball. Just Auburn basketball gets more publicity, and everyone loves Auburn basketball. Everyone loves packing out Neville Arena. Butch is on the exact same tier of just an incredible turnaround job for historically not great program. And I think that there there's nothing you can do to emphasize that more, the things that he has done. And now it's, you know, the fun part where you sit back, you watch Auburn play, and you really hope that they can, you know, stay hot going into this NCAA tournament um, and just win some games, you know, and have have another environment kind of like the regional last year. It was incredible. It was packed. Auburn showed up and showed out. Uh, yet, you know, everyone loved the Cole Foster hitting the home run from both sides of the plate, like stuff like that. All those kind of things really helped the program and having packed out uh, when you pack out points in park for all these games, it also helps the NCAA. You know, when the NCAA is picking who hosts these regionals, if it's between a school that, you know, you've got the parking decks full, you've got the whole terrace is packed, you've got every seat's full, or you have a place where it's like, ah, eh, well, they, they're, they'll fill it about 70%, 80% of the way, but, you know, Auburn's going to pack the place out. Auburn's going to get the nod. So I really think that, you know, investing in the baseball program, showing up to those baseball games, it helps. You know, it really does help these kind of games. And now it just relies for these guys, you know, taking the field to win the game and leave no doubt. So I definitely think that this this matchup against Missouri is interesting. Auburn's a better team. Auburn's shown that they're a better team three times this season. And I think that, you know, if Auburn can win this game, get a little bit of momentum going, who knows? Who knows what could happen in, in this tournament? Yeah, but uh, Wheeler, Wheeler is uh, all done with things to say. I think his, his Wi-Fi might be cutting out a little bit. But as always, you know, we, we really appreciate you guys coming on to listen. We'll be back uh, it's, again with, you know, more information as updates continue to come in. And uh, hopefully Auburn baseball will be able to get the win in about four minutes. Um, but as always, thank you guys so much for listening. And War Eagle. War Eagle.